Chapter thirty seven of Mad Barbara by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty seven. The door at the foot of the tower stood open, and John Gore plunged in with his sword forward and his pistol at the cock. The place was as dark as a pit, and he thrust out right and left with the sword, the point ringing against the walls till he found where the gap of the stairs opened. He went up silently, for he was in his stockings, but there was more grimness in that swift and silent climb than any clangour and clash that armed men might have made. His blood was up, the devil awake in him, and the spirit of murder howling in his ears. He seemed to see all the gross, smothering horror of the scene above, and he set his teeth as he wondered whether he would come too late. A quick shuffling sound came down to him in the darkness. A hurrying human thing was close to him, and John Gore challenged and lunged without pity. There was a hard sob, and a dim shadow of a figure dragged down his sword's point in its fall. He freed the blade and went on with hardly a thought, as a stormer pushes on over the bodies in the throat of a breach. A sudden gleam of light slanted down the stair, and he heard the tread of heavy feet and a harsh shout of Nance! Nance! Rounding the last twist of the stair, John Gore came upon a man with a white cloth over his face, standing on the landing outside Barbara's room and holding a shaded lantern in his hand. There was no parleying between those two, and Simon Pinniger, caught without arms, lifted up the lantern as though to dash it in John Gore's face. The sea-captain flung up his left arm, and firing straight into the man's body, saw him go lurching back, the lantern falling at his feet. John Gore sprang up with his sword ready, thinking for the moment that the bully had it in his heart. But Simon Pinniger's ribs were tough enough to turn a pistol-bullet, and he recovered himself and came at the rescuer like a bull. He tried to beat the sword aside with a sweep of the arm, but the lantern still burned upon the floor, and John Gore was too grim a gentleman to be tricked so easily. He avoided the blow with a backward step and a swift backswing of the right arm. The point was still to the fore, and lunging with the whole weight of arm and shoulder, he felt the blade grate between the fellow's ribs. Then he was caught full face, like a bluff ship by an ocean roller, and knocked backward down the stairs by the mass and impact of the man's charge. The sword broke a foot from the guard, but John Gore held to the hilt even while the brute bulk of the man was grinding over him down the steps. Twisting free, he slipped aside against the wall, only to feel a hand grasping at his throat and the sound of hoarse, wet breathing mingling with savage curses. He struck out with the hilt of the sword, broke the man's grip, and came up top-dog, despite Simon Pinniger's brute plunging fury. It was like the death-thrashing of a leviathan amid blood and spray. They struggled, clawed, and smote for a moment, till a chance stab went deep into the fellow's eye. He crumpled down into the darkness. John Gore heard his head strike the wall, and the breath come out of him like the wind out of a stabbed float. The man was mere carrion, and John Gore sprang up the stairs, finding the lantern still burning, though the grease from the candle had guttered through upon the stones. He picked it up, 
and was about to push forward into the room when a black square in the flooring caught his eye. A flagstone had been turned upon its side against the wall, uncovering the mouth of some oubliette or pit, and for a moment he bent over it, trying to probe its depths, as though dreading lest that dear body should be lying broken in the darkness beneath. A glance through the open door of the room showed him Barbara lying upon the floor, with the bedclothes half covering her as she lay. He was down beside her with a cold sweat of fear on him, as the light from the lantern fell upon her face. A red scarf had been wound about her neck, and her two hands were still straining at it, pathetic in their impotence to let in life and breath. John Gore set the lantern down, caught her up, and unwound the thing, cursing as he did so the marks where the white throat had been bruised by brutal hands. There was froth on her lips and dusky shadow covering her face, yet the lips were warm when he pressed his cheeks to them, and, putting an ear to her bosom, he found that her heart still throbbed. An inarticulate, thank God, came from him, but the cry of the moment was, air, air. Taking her in his arms, he bent for the lantern, and swinging it by the ring from one finger, he started down the stairs. He hardly heeded the two bodies lying there, save to step over them, and so, with all his manhood, praying and striving for the life in her, he came out into the cold night and the pale gleam of the moon. Now John Gore remembered a trick that an old buccaneer surgeon had taught him at Port Royal, a trick that had saved men who had been cut down from the gallows or pulled out senseless from the sea. He laid Barbara on the wet grass that grew in the old hall, and, kneeling at her head, took her two arms at the wrists and began to move them gently from the shoulders, spreading them wide, and then crossing them with slight pressure upon her bosom. Nor did man ever thank God more than did John Gore when she began to breathe feebly of her own sweet self, and the rise and fall of her bosom showed that the tide of life had turned. He bent over her and wiped her lips, touched her bruised throat tenderly with his fingers, and then leaned back and looked at the moon, as though that broad, white, heavenly face could understand what all this meant to him. He lifted her up again in his arms, and seeing a yellow glow beating along the passage that led from the hall into the kitchen, he made for it and made a huge fire blazing on the hearth, the light from it making the place far brighter than in the day. There was a rough sort of couch under the window, and John Gore laid Barbara upon it, and drew the thing up before the fire so that the warmth should hearten the life in her, and then, for the first time, he took notice of the swelter he himself was in, his shirt hanging open and showing his chest, blotches of crimson staining it, his very stockings soaked from the blood of the two dead creatures upon the stairs. A man in such a war-tackle was not a savoury thing to meet the eyes of a frightened girl. John Gore bent over her a moment and saw a faint pink flush creeping into her cheeks, while her breath came and went steadily with a quiet sighing. There was an oak chest in the kitchen, and John Gore found some clothes in it, a rough shirt that had belonged to the dead man, and some woollen hose. He went out into the yard, where the dog was rattling his chain and making a great whimpering, as though calling for his supper, and knowing there was a pump by the stable, he stripped himself to the waist, washed, and put on clean gear. Then he unbarred the gate, 
and brought in his coat and riding-boots from under the thorn-tree so that he should seem something of a gentleman and not a ragged scoundrel hardly fit to touch a woman's hand barbara was still lying like one asleep before the fire when he returned for she had been so near to death that life seemed to steal back softly and slowly as though still afraid john gore had never looked thus at his love before as a man might look at a sleeping child or at some fair valley under a golden dawn he saw the faint flush upon her cheeks the shadowy sweep of the long lashes the little dark curls of hair falling with such a sheen of sweetness over her forehead the line of the red mouth the soft warmth of her skin she looked thin poor child frail and tragical and yet the suffering that she had borne had shed a glamour over her that made her more lovable and more womanly than of old his heart went out to her with all the awe of a man's desire as he stood and watched the coming of life and love there was a fluttering of the shadowy lashes a long-drawn breath a movement of the hands and then the low cry of one waking to some revolting memory john gore bent over her and took her hands in his there is nothing to fear dear heart a shudder ran through her as she looked at him and some moments passed before light and understanding swept the shadows from her eyes but the look that came into them when her soul awoke made john gore long to take her in his arms and to hold her close to him so that he could feel the beating of her heart john is it you she spoke huskily from the bruising of her throat by simon pinniger's murderous hands it is all over barbie we are king and queen of the castle he wished to hide all the grimness of the night's work from her seeing that her great eyes were ready to grow frightened and full of fear showing that she had borne too much already in body and soul john i remember it all now they were smothering me in the dark he took her face between his two hands and looked dearly into her eyes barbara you are in my keeping try and forget all that dear heart i came in time to scare those wolves into the night now you must suffer me to have my way barbara looked up at him almost timidly as though conscious of his nearness and the homage in his eyes it had been dark in the tower window but now they saw each other in the light and a mysterious coyness covered her face i will do all that you wish john i shall take you away to-night yes yes take me away from thorn her hands went into his there is a moon dear and i have a pillion for you if you are strong enough oh yes i am quite strong now she made as though to sit up on the couch but she grew faint instantly so that john gore held her with one arm about her shoulders more spirit than strength barbie yet some of her old obstinacy appeared in her for the moment no i am only a little giddy lie down again no i must make a start she dropped her feet in their worn shoes over the edge of the couch glanced at him a little wilfully and then looked away with a rush of colour and a tremulous flash of the eyes you must try and be patient with me john it is not a matter of patience child but food and good wine she put a hand to her throat i could not touch anything in this place he looked at her with a smile 
not even if it came in my pocket i will try john of course you will i have work to do here before we start he brought out a flask from his pocket and food that mrs winnie had wrapped up in a clean white napkin there were some little cakes and some baked meat laid in slices between slips of home-made bread barbara looked at them and gave him a first sad smile it is gross of me john but those cakes make me feel hungry the very best confession dear will you have some he had laid the cloth upon her knees no child not yet can you bear to be left alone a while i am quite brave now john but well sweetheart you are not going far no only into the tower to get the rope which is not mine to leave is there anything that you would wish to take she looked down thoughtfully her dark lashes sweeping her cheeks there is a book john bound in red leather i would not leave it here because it has helped me taught me almost as much as you have done End of chapter thirty seven